You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. The Lord. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is where I want to go this morning. And, uh, and really, I, I just kind of want to share a little bit about a theme that has kind of helped shape my perspective of leadership, my perspective of ch- the church, and, and really one of the things in, a, in being a part of the Gateway family over this last, uh, well, 15 years here in Campbell River, no, 15 years on the island, 13 years in Campbell River, um, if this is a kind of, in one sense, it's a message that you've probably, if you've been around, you've heard, you've heard parts of it before, but I want to, I want to end with it in the sense of this sermon series that I started a number of weeks ago called Farewell. And my prayer for the Gateway family that this new season would be a season of life and growth, the work of the Lord. Uh, we were even praying in pre-service prayer this morning. Sometimes, it's actually often the case, uh, that in moments like this, uh, t- seasons of transition actually create awesome opportunities for a new thing to take place. And God's not done yet. Amen? God's not done yet. But I want to encourage uh, with just a simple thing that I'd love to lodge in your brain so that if you're thinking over the years about, oh, when Matt was thinking about all these sorts of things, that this would be a key takeaway. Because I believe it's a recipe for faring well, not only as a church, but as in our individual walk with the Lord, uh, that there is this dynamic. And I, I told you to turn to Acts 15, but I want to just read a few verses for you out of John chapter 4. Uh, at first, because it's been one of the things that sometimes I, I've recognized over the years, I've learned a little bit, uh, actually a whole schwack, uh, which has been amazing. I, I looked at a picture today in my office. Uh, it's been on my bookshelf since we first came 13 years ago to Campbell River. Deanna and I are standing out in front of the red maple tree in front of the office with Corey and Janice Clausen. Who remembers Corey and Janice Clausen? Campus pastors here before we were here. And it was the Sunday that we got installed here as campus pastors initially. Initially, and that has been sitting on our shelf, and, and uh, my wife looks just as beautiful uh, today as back then, but it was like, oh man, look what's happened in 13 years. Uh, some of the key things, obviously, there was just two Delblancs in the photo, and now there would be five Delblancs in the photo. Thank the Lord uh, for his blessing. But also, just the amazing opportunity over these last number of years to grow and to stretch and, and to, to love and to pour into people just like yourselves. It's been such a blessing. I, I think the blessing of a lifetime, and I was uh, kind of reflecting a bit uh, at our council meeting on Wednesday night as well. Just, you just need to know that you will be sermon fodder and Bible college illustrations for long periods of time. As, I, as I'm sure they'll get tired of, well, when we were in Campbell River, let me tell you. But sometimes on the journey, right, uh, there's, been, there's some of these markers that have helped me think about kind of some of those things. What do we do? What do we not do? What kind of church are we shaping? And, and John chapter 4 is, is, is a, a verse that speaks to that. John 4, 23. In the midst of a conversation, which we won't get into the whole conversation, which, between Jesus and the woman at the well. 
which if you're familiar with that story, Jesus sends his disciples into town and he begins to engage with a woman in conversation, which was counter, like, count, counter to the cultural expectation. I shouldn't have been talking with her because it might not have seemed appropriate, but it was right in the middle of the day. She's there at the well because she's uh, not welcomed by the other women that come at other times of the day. And Jesus engages in this very rich dialogue back and forth. And in the midst of that dialogue is verse 23. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Truth. Can everyone say spirit and truth? How do we fare well in our lives? We, we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Because sometimes there can be a dynamic where we might lean heavy or exclusively on one or the other. But one of the key things that I've seen and observed over the years and the Lord has prompted is in, in, in implementing is Let's strive for both spirit and truth because we can't do it without both of those things. We run the risk, uh, and again, how, we, we might qualify some of these statements in slightly different ways, but, but for me, as I think about that spirit and truth, on the truth side, I think about uh, rooting our lives in the revealed word of God, the truth. And in spirit, as I think about that uh, and in framing it in this kind of a bit of a rubric for filtering through how might I respond in a circumstance, I think about the work, the, the, the part of our faith that's supernatural, right? Our faith is not just logic and truth statements. It's an encounter and an experience with the living God by his Holy Spirit, amen? And, and the thing that, you know, finding that, Balance might not even be the right word because I just think it's like go for all of both. Not either or, both and. That in our lives, we root ourselves to the word of God. We need that as a firm foundation, as, a, as that opportunity in our lives to be able to discern what is true, what is false. And as we build our lives on the truth of God's word, we will be solid and stable and, be, and able to navigate any storm or difficulty. Amen? But sometimes, you know, it, we can kind of be in, in, in kind of cultures or seasons of our lives where we get... We get a bit out of whack, and we're kind of like, I'm, I'm just truth, no spirit. And in those sorts of moments, things can become a bit dry and a bit stale, a bit, it could be all true, right? But it's missing out on a vibrancy and, and a liveliness that's required to walk out this walk of faith. And on the opposite end, as we think of the work of the Spirit, man, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? If the church of Jesus is gonna get the job done, it's gonna be in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Jesus didn't tell them to do the work until he filled them with the Holy Spirit, and then he said, go get the job done. And so that includes all of those things like the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit in our lives. But again, we could perhaps maybe even at some points swing all the way over here and abandon truth. 
And there can be a lot of fire, but it becomes a bit wildfire and just rips through and and it's not stable or lasting. It's missing some grounding and rooting. And so here again, it's it's God's calling us to worship in spirit and truth, both of them. The power, the vibrancy of the Holy Spirit, but also this soberness and also this pursuit of the truth. In that, there's an opportunity that we'll fare well. And I want to look at a passage of scripture that I was praying this week, and because I knew for a while, I'm like, I know we're going to end on the spirit and truth sermon, Lord, but I was like, you know, which, which passage will we kind of explore just to kind of demonstrate the principle and see this in the pages of scripture? And I felt the Lord lead me and draw my attention to Acts chapter 15 which I don't, we don't have time to read the whole passage today. But it's an interesting passage. I was kind of, as I read through it, I'm like, oh, Lord, isn't there like a, a cuter story, a nicer little story, a, a something? But I, as I read through this passage, I'm like, this is perfect because it's the word, but also so beautifully demonstrates what does it look like? What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth with that kind of rubric, with that sort of a thought pattern of I want all of the work of the Spirit, and I want to be completely rooted in God's Word, then we look at a place like Acts chapter 15. And, and again, the context of that passage, it's good for us to know it gets better the more you dig in, is the church, early church, the first followers of Jesus were, were kind of wrestling and, and jostling a little bit and understanding what does it look like to be the church and to do church and And how do we respond to the life of Jesus who's totally transformed us and saved us? It's amazing. These people have been transformed and changed by Jesus, just like us. I mean, it's been so, as I I can't even scan the room like on a morning like this morning. And as I look at the stories and the opportunities that we've walked through over the years together, I've seen Jesus transform your lives just like these people in the book of Acts. Jesus had changed them. But that didn't mean that also moments didn't come where there was challenge and change and and all of these sorts of things. And Acts 15 is one of those moments where the church is wrestling with a theological question, which it's not the theological question we're gonna unpack today. It's how did they respond to that dynamic is what we're gonna look at today. So let's read. I'm excited, man. I wish, anyways, thank you, Lord. Praise Jesus. Okay. Acts 15, if you've got your Bibles, open them uh, with me. It would be fantastic. Uh, Starting in verse one says this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let's pause. I know. I read that verse. I'm like, Lord, Acts chapter 15? Like, anyways. But What we're talking about here is the dynamic of the early church. It's good for us to put all of these things into the story. Jesus, what religion was Jesus? He was Jewish, right? And the early, all 12 disciples were Jewish. The first, you know, group of believers on the day of Pentecost, they were all Jews. Now, was God's heart only for the Jews? No, but through them that all the nations of the world would be blessed. But do you see the setup there for difficulty? You have a church that was predominantly and maybe for a while exclusively Jewish. And then all these non-Jew Gentiles start getting transformed by the same Jesus. 
which was exactly Jesus's plan. It wasn't an oops, but on the ground, the local churches were like, how do we do this? Like, we've been good Jews all of our lives, and we've received Jesus as the Messiah, and we've put our faith in him. But now all these Gentiles are hanging around, and how do we navigate change? How do we navigate a circumstance, a situation we haven't seen before? And so some of them make a decision. Well, they need to become Jews too. And again, for the men, a very particular response, but nonetheless, it was the whole package deal. They need to take on this Jewish way of life first in order to come to the Messiah to be saved. That's the problem that they're dealing with. That's the the response of some. And it goes on and says in verse two, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, it got a little spicy. Because they're like, we've just seen a bunch of non-Jews get saved, and we're not going to make them be Jews to be Christians. So there's some discussion going on amongst these believers, all transformed by Jesus, and they're figuring out how do we make this work. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question, some of the key leaders of the early church. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia uh, uh, and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and order them, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So again, do we see the two camps pretty clear now in this passage? They're all Christians. How do we make this thing work? And so it goes on in verse 6. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, let's just pause for a second, three leaders speak. And it's just interesting what we're going to observe today is the different thing that they bring to the table to help resolve this problem. So let's look at these three different leaders. First is Peter. He gets up first. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth, uh, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe And God knows the heart and bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Again, by faith, as in not by following the Jewish rules. Now, therefore, why are you putting Uh, God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. (laughs) It's an interesting point. He's like, you want them all to become rule-following Jews? We're not doing a perfect job at that either. His own self-admission, right? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord uh, Lord Jesus just as they will. Come on, Peter. Peter preaches the gospel. You don't become a Christian by being 51% a good boy or good girl. 
You are a, all of us, me, you. We're all sinners. We've all blown it. And we're not saved by cleaning it up. We're saved by trusting in Jesus. And then he cleans us up. Thank you, Lord. It's the gospel. But isn't it so interesting? Peter leans in and he emphasizes the work of the Spirit. He says, look, you saw it with your eyes. The Holy Spirit sent us to do this and he confirmed the preaching of the gospel in some of the ways, if you read back in the book of Acts, Gentiles, like at Cornelius' house, sorry, we're throwing a lot in today and I'm talking fast. Uh, These Gentiles get saved and what happens? They also are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues, just like the Jewish believers. So Peter leans heavy on, did you see what the Spirit did? And that work of the Spirit is the art, the, his primary argument to say we don't need them to follow those rules because the Holy Spirit. So I love Peter's example. His, his, he's speaking from the experience of what they witnessed. They kept their eyes open for the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's keep on going. Now, where did I? Uh, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them, uh, among the Gentiles. So again, then we don't have all of the text of what Paul and Barnabas said, but it tells us in summary that they got up and said, hey, how can we not include these people? There were miracles, and the dead were raised, and God miraculously provided. It sounds like a whole lot of work of the Spirit to me. Doubling down on this is the argument they're making. And then, we'll keep going. One more guy speaks. I kind of ignored Barnabas, so four guys spoke. In my mind, I've read Peter, Paul, and James. But Barnabas is in there too. Let's not neglect that guy. But nonetheless, it goes off. Uh, it goes off uh, on after that, verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon, or, or, or uh, Simon Peter, has kind of fun when they mix up their names and all these things, uh, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Can you tell where James is going to go? To the word. Spirit and truth. We have a problem to solve. We have a dynamic to figure out. And so they keep their eye to the work of the Spirit. They they respond to the leading and the evidence, the experience of God by his Holy Spirit. And then James jumps in, is like, let's root this thing and get it over the line. And he says, or and he quotes from scripture, after this I will return and I will rebuild the temp the tent that David uh, of David that has fallen and I will be rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind, sorry, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. So he quotes an Old Testament scripture that says the Gentiles were meant to be in all along. It's a beautiful combination, spirit and truth. 
So he says, verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those from the Gentiles who turn to God because by experience of the Spirit and by the evidence of God's word, we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay, well, why does he, let's read the thing and then we'll come back to why some of those things are in there. Verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So these guys, these leaders, they gather together, they experience, they look to the work of the Spirit, they root it in the truth, and then they make some decisions about, okay, now what are we going to do? And the result is, as James spelled out, is what they end up agreeing with, that they're not going to make the Gentiles become Jews Thank you, Lord. There's a reason that we're not all wearing like yarmulkes today and that we didn't read like from a Torah scroll this morning and these sorts of things because most of us, if not all, are Gentile believers and you're real believers. Thank you, Jesus. But James does throw in there, he's like, well, there's a few things. Let's get them to not eat food polluted by idols and not, you know, and, and, and avoid and abstain from sexual immorality and some of these other things, food that's been strangled and, and from eating blood. Why? Because some of these practices were, would, have been, would have been offensive to the sensibilities of the Jews. So listen to this wonderful compromise. Don't, don't make them become Jews but encourage them to be gracious, right? Don't rub it in their noses that you're not Jews. The Jew, your Jewish brothers and sisters are gonna have a really hard time if you eat food that's been strangled because that was against the law. If, you'd start, if you're sitting around eating blood and being like, I'm a Gentile, I can drink blood, like you just would kind of be a bit of a jerk. So be, extend grace to one another. And so I love this passage for a number of reasons. One, because it demonstrates the spirit and truth dynamic, but then it tempers it all with this thing of extend grace. And what a wonderful principle demonstrated that we can apply to our own lives as individuals and then the lives of a corporate church too. That we would be those that keep our eyes open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And not just open but our hearts eager to experience and walk in the work of the Holy Spirit. Church, now more than ever, like again, it's in our modern era where the, you know, sometimes we think we're so sophisticated and smart and all these sorts of things, man, we just need the Lord to move. And our faith is a supernatural faith. So might I continue to encourage you, don't despise the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the opposite, be eager, is what the Bible would tell us. Be eager for the work of the Holy Spirit. Cheryl, come on up. This was the moment I was gonna, in pre-service prayer this morning, Cheryl was like, I've got a word. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna throw it right in the middle of the sermon. So let's throw it in the middle of the sermon because let's keep our eyes open to the work of the Spirit as God speaks to us and his people through prophetic words and words of encouragement. What's the Lord been stirring on your heart? Well, it was actually two months ago before you said you were going and he woke, I was just going to sleep and, he just said, and I've given this word before, but I just felt I had to share it again. I am. I am building my church. I am building my church. I am building my church. I am. And it shook me to my very core. And as I've gone through the last few months, it's like, 
I think he's speaking that to each one of us. He's speaking to you as you're going to be preparing young men and women to build the church up and to be versed in the Bible. He's speaking to us to grow up, to take our place in the church Mm -hmm. as we listen to him. He is building his church. Thank you, Cheryl. (laughs) And so again, here's the thing. The Spirit prompts words. And then we test them how? By the word. And that's just a direct quote from Scripture. So that's an easy one. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I love, it's the spirit, it's the, the, the way that the spirit takes God's word that's been, been on the page for thousands of years and then he breathes on it and it brings transformation and life and it's on time and in season and stirs and strengthens and directs. God wants to move in our lives by the work of his spirit. Uh, again, like we said, we, we, we'd be those that worship in spirit and in truth. I want to make sure I give a continued call. Church, we need to root ourselves in God's word. We are facing a season in the church, particularly in the West, whether we like it or not. Bible literacy is at its probably some of its lowest rates ever. What do I mean by that? That mean, I mean Christians that I, are believers are in a season where for various reasons, our, our understanding and competence in scripture is perhaps lower than it's been in generations. I don't want to like speak to all of church history, but it's at a low ebb, and that's for sure. And so some of us might be like, well, what's the, what, what, what's the bother, right? I'm a Christian. The world is all around us. And if you're not rooted on the truth, the storms will come. And you're unnecessarily vulnerable. We need to root ourselves to God's word. What happened? Because if we don't, right, we run the risk of just kind of accommodating maybe even more the ways and the thought patterns of this world. If we're not confronting ourselves and allowing the Holy Spirit, which I love, Jesus said when he prayed, he said, the spirit of truth would come and lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, I love, it's not a conflict between spirit and truth. It's like in the Holy Spirit, we have the both and dynamic by his very title, the spirit of truth. But might I exhort and encourage that you as an individual would root yourself in God's word, daily being in the, in the, in the pages of scripture. We need it. How, how else are we gonna navigate this world with strength and direction without the word of God? There's a, there's a reason, right? Like typically when I preach sermons over the last however many years, uh, I've I studied passages of scripture and wanna bring that to you. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't got a lot of great ideas. I certainly don't have any that are gonna transform your life. Your life, But God's word is full of truth that will change your life. And so again, my ex- exhortation to you as an individual, to gateway as a family, continue to love the word of God even more than ever before. Dig in, glean, eat. You need the nourishment to continue to stand. But also, make much room for the Holy Spirit. 
daily dependence. How does this look even in our everyday lives? Man, I, I think daily taking moments to pause and saying, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit today? As Tanya was sharing earlier, when we ask God for the spirit, he loves giving us of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it without him. But also, we've got to avoid the temptation to be like, man, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves, it gets a bit weird. It's a bit unpredictable. I, 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 I'm more, I, I like it when I can define it and know. And again, you've probably seen me over the years try to find a good balance of how do we navigate these things. What have we built over the last 13 years in, in a Gateway is a broad tent. That's the way I look at it. We have believers in the house that come from some different backgrounds and different preferences and styles. And, and perhaps some would be like, I lean more on the truth side of things and some lean more on the spirit side of things. And my hope has been to stand somewhere in the middle and be like, Let's, can we all get along because we need one another. Because sometimes balance is hard because it requires adjustment. It requires decisions to be made. It requires a, a, not just a default of easy. Balance can be hard. You know that in your own daily lives as you figure out how are you going to do what you need to do. There's choices that need to be made. And I want to encourage that continued balance of, the spirit, of spirit and truth, all of the above. It's been so fun to watch over the years, right? Like some people uh, show up and they're like, oh, they're, they're kind of charismatic and people speak in tongues there. And, and then it's like, but they preach the Bible. And likewise, other people uh, uh, come and, and, uh, and again, they have some different preferences or backgrounds and these sorts of things. And what have I been shooting for? Spirit and truth? Has it been perfect? No. But it's been a response to say, Lord, would you bring life in that place? And I, I keep seeing evidence of God at work by his spirit, rooting people and transforming them by the truth. I, I don't have time today to list the stories of thinking about some of your testimonies, and I won't pull you out and make you uncomfortable today. Lynn, Lynn Montgomery got away last week without me acknowledging that it was good to see her back uh, today. There we go. But nonetheless, stories, I love it. One of my, some of my favorite things, right, are people that have come to the Lord uh, through, the min through, through Jesus, through the ministry of our church, and, and then watching them as they start to love the truth, and God turns, does exactly what he says that he'll do, and he transforms their mind and renews them, and it's like, you believe that now? I, mean, I didn't even talk to you about that yet, but God already did that in you? Thank you, Jesus. The spirit of truth did his thing. And we could go on and on and on. How will, you, how will you fare well? How will we fare well as individuals? Let's be those that worship in spirit and truth. And again, back to the verse in John as we wrap up today. Well, and one more thing out of Acts 15, like we've mentioned. Let's run to the word. Let's eagerly desire the spirit. And then as we sense at the end of that that conversation and then the letter they sent out, sent out later in the book of, in the same chapter, if you want to read later. And then let's extend a whole lot of grace. Because we're all coming at things. I, I have another, the, uh, my, another piece of my kind of theology of the church. It goes like this. We're all unbalanced. All of you all. And me. 
And that's God's plan. Like, so when you come across somebody with an evangelistic bent, man, I think some of the evangelists are some of the most out-of-balance people that we got going. And guess what? God's like, that's how I planned it. Because how do you balance a bunch of unbalanced people? Well, if they'll all just lash their hands together. <laughs> Imagine a circle of all of us leaning, because we're, we're all skewed and we're all out of balance. But man, if we'll all gr- gr- join hands together and you're, ba- you're, you're being out of balance, that direction is equaled out by my out of balance, this direction, and then somehow we're all stable when we're together and there's a bit of tension. And we extend grace one to another and we recognize the unique gifts and callings in our lives and temperaments and personalities and all of these sorts of things. I love it. We extend grace one to another. But coming back to John chapter four, I'll read it again. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Listen to this. The Father is seeking such people. Might you, might all of us be those that respond to our loving Heavenly Father who's, he's looking, he's seeking. Oh, I love that we get to respond to him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I want to pray that you would fare well as you continue to seek the Lord in spirit and truth. For you as an individual, for Gateway as a church family, it was strange. I was chatting with my brother-in-law yesterday and and, and he's a roofer and and, uh, and, uh, the the roof above the bathrooms here needs to be redone because it's leaking a little bit. And so council's looking for quotes and all the really fun stuff. Thank you, council, for making sure those things happen. And then in this season as well, helping navigate uh, other things forward as well. And I was chatting with my brother-in-law and, and I was like, do I say we are looking for a quote or they? And I was super sad because I'm like, oh, no. But as we walk through a season, as Gateway walks through a season, how will we fare, fare well? We'll continue to seek the Lord. Keep serving Jesus. Go all in. Follow his prompting. Respond to his leading. Root yourself in the truth. And again, it's not really a goodbye. Like I was thinking in pre-service prayer, I'm like, it's not a funeral, all right? No one died. Transitions are challenging. They come with a lot of emotions. We can give you all of the details about emotions and transition. But the kingdom of God works in ways like this. Where some go and some stay. Some are sent far and some are sent across the street. But we follow the Lord. And again, we're not that far. I mentioned it a few times. Invite me back. <laughs> we'll come. <laughs> I'm going to cry next Sunday. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, the Lord's good. And he's building his church. Can we stand together? 
Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.